Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the private space revolution. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation and Space Nerd. With our IPI Policy Basics podcasts, we're building an audio reference library on basic policy issues, topics, and concepts for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy, or if you just need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And I'm joined again today in studio by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, a fellow space nerd, and we want to talk today about the private space revolution. So, Dr. Matthews, you and I both, I think, since childhood have both been space nerds. Um, You're slightly older than me, but we both grew up during the Apollo generation. Uh, we oh, were some of us grew up during the Mercury okay, generation. Well then, okay, well there, there you go. I my first awareness was really um, late Gemini and early Apollo. And, I, you know, I and we've already that. lost some of our audience here because they have no Alan idea what Shepard we're talking about. Take off in uh, 1961. So the the Mercury program was the first U.S. space program, mm-hmm. and then was followed by the Gemini. Program. And that was the Mercury Seven, right? And there were there were a number of Mercury flights, and the idea where there was just to learn how to put people into orbit right. and bring them back down safely again. Because we were getting beaten by the Russians. Exactly. And then there was the Gemini program, mm-hmm. and the purpose of the Gemini program was to learn how and to practice things like docking and undocking, spacewalks. These are necessary necessary technologies and abilities that were going to be necessary to get to the moon. And the key factor is Gemini is we went from one person in the capsule to two people in the capsule. Right. And then the Apollo program, which is when I became aware of these things, uh, the whole purpose of the Apollo program was to build on that, was to send three people Mm -hmm. uh, out of you to break orbit for the first time, uh, to go to the moon and come back and to, you know, land an orbiter uh, on the moon and then be able to return safely to Earth. Um, and so this was, the entire space program was started by the government as a compelling national interest. This mm-hmm. was the space race with the Soviet Union. John F. Kennedy uh, challenging the country to do that. And we started off behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia was the first country to put a satellite into orbit. October 1957. It was designed specifically, as I recall, to orbit over the continental United States. That was Sputnik. Yes, Sputnik. Which, which, is, the, which is what they call their COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, but instead of putting it in like a pole-to-pole orbit, they made a point of putting it in an orbit where it would pass over the United yes. States so we could detect it yes. and detect the signal. So there's a little bit of it in your face kind of a thing. Uh, they put They were the first to put a living creature in orbit. They put mm-hmm. a dog in orbit. Uh, they were the first to put a human being in orbit. Mm-hmm. And the first to put a woman first in orbit. First to put a woman in orbit. And so we were very much behind. And so this became a national imperative uh, of, of started by the Kennedy administration, but continued by subsequent administrations. And the idea was spare no costs, spare no effort. Uh, we've got to catch up and we've got to surpass the and Soviet just, Union. Just so our younger le- uh, listeners realize this, we were also in a race with the Soviet Union. There was the Cold War going on mm-hmm. and there was the issue of which is better, capitalism or communism? And so if communism was making gains throughout the world, both in China and some other places, uh, the notion is, is this the system that can get things done 
be techno- technology uh, technologically advanced, mm-hmm. do a whole range of things. And so this put a lot of pressure on the administration, the fact that the Russians were the first in space for us to come up and to not just for a friendly competition, but to prove capitalism is better. Yeah, nothing friendly about it. And, no. and in fact, it was it was a competition of a number of things. It was a military competition. Mm-hmm. Remember, you had the Soviet Union also had nuclear weapons. Uh, you had the whole Cuban Missile Crisis that happened during the Kennedy administration. It was an economic competition, like who, who which, which economic system is actually going to emerge victorious, mm-hmm. right? So you you had a you had philosophical competition, you had military competition, you had economic competition. It really was a competition for who's going to be globally dominant and which which system of governance, which economic system is going to be globally dominant. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Soviet Union was very aggressive in starting proxy wars around the world in various places and, and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, this this was viewed as a absolutely compelling national interest. And, um, you know, the, one of the slogans was waste anything except time. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you could waste money. Just don't waste time. And in fact, we succeeded wildly. We did, in fact, not only beat the Soviet Union to the moon, but the Soviet Union never mm-hmm. even attempted to put anybody on the right. moon. In fact, while Apollo 11 was making its way to the moon, there was actually a Russian satellite that was also making its way to the moon because they wanted to at least be able to claim that they had actually landed something on the moon, even if it wasn't human beings. Um, And so because that attitude was, again, waste, waste anything except time, uh, the the U.S. government did the normal thing that they do. You know, it, it was very much a military program. So they enlisted defense contractors. And so it was all of the major defense contractors that immediately found themselves suddenly as space contractors. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked. And so, you know, we're not suggesting there was anything wrong with that model because it did work. And, and the, U, the federal government was accustomed to working with defense contractors on defense contracts. And again, the whole space program was seen as really sort of part of a military effort. The, you mentioned the Mercury 7. They were all Air Force pilots. Most of them were fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the initial astronauts all came from the military all the way through the Apollo program. Mm-hmm. They were all military personnel. Uh, so there was very much a sort of a military-esque or military-ish kind of cast over the entire space program. Now, one of the things that happened, though, is that military contractors and defense contractors are, in fact, used to working on these kinds of projects where cost overruns are just part of the deal. Yeah. You know, you just expect that. Um, they're not Governments are not big on taking risks. Um, this is the way we've always done it was sort of the attitude. Um, and what you ended up with a, was with a space program post the Apollo program that was not particularly innovative. Uh, it was not particularly iterative, iterative. In other words, the fourth or fifth space shuttle was not dramatically different than the first space shuttle. You know, In fact, changing something would put you at risk. What if something went wrong? What yeah. if you change something and something went wrong? So the whole sort of combination, the whole relationship between the government and defense contractors was one of, you know what, uh, if we don't change anything and no one gets hurt, if we, if we always play it safe and never take any risks, 
uh, that sort of makes us both happy. <laughs> that makes the defense contractors happy because we don't have to keep innovating. And we don't have to keep iterating. Mm-hmm. And it makes the government happy because no one gets in trouble. Of course, we know that there were two major terrible incidents with the space shuttle. And it became clear at some point that the space shuttle was just simply not a future-proof platform. It was extremely expensive to maintain. The whole issue with the heating tiles being exposed upon reentry, it was just it just was a bad design. It just didn't there didn't seem to be any way to improve on that design without basically throwing everything out. And during the George W. Bush administration, the decision was made, in fact, to cancel the shuttle program. Mm-hmm. And so you had this span of time between the George W. Bush administration and the Obama administration where the shuttle was phased out and we didn't have anything to replace it. This is really sort of the low point. Now, NASA did have something to replace, and it was called the Constellation Program. But the Constellation Program was just plagued by just enormous cost overruns, and the Obama administration lost patience with it. And I remember as a space nerd being kind of crushed when the announcement came down that the Obama administration was canceling the Constellation Program. In fact, I remember going down to um, Kennedy Space Center during this time and doing a tour and seeing a a model of the Orion spacecraft that was part of this Constellation program that had literally just like months before been canceled. And so even though we were canceling our programs, we still need to get astronauts to the International Space Station. Right. The the A large share of the maintenance of the International Space Station is the responsibility of the United States. And so without a shuttle and without a replacement vehicle, we had no way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the Russians were gleefully able to hap- happily step in and say, we're happy to, you know, fly your American astronauts to the ISS, to the International Space Station. But they kept upping the charges because we had no option, right? Right. So you got to the point literally where Russia was just extorting the United States on these on the cost of these flights to get American astronauts up to the space station. So the Obama administration, which we have been very, very critical of in any number of ways, they got something right. They said, you know what? We're not simply going to cancel the Constellation program. What we're going to do is shake the whole thing up. And we're going to start relying in the future more on private companies Mm -hmm. to service the space station. And it was about this time that that Elon Musk was talking about putting together a space company and some other people were talking about it, too. And so this was the introduction for the first time of private space competitors for the old defense contractor model. Mm -hmm. And the defense contractors lobbied against it very, very heavily. And I just want to make the point, we're ha- I'm happy to have defense contractors. We need defense contractors to, to, you know, to do what they do best. But that model is an old, outdated model that resulted in huge costs to taxpayers, delays, and a real lack of innovation. And so the brilliance of this move, this has turned out to be just a historically great move by the federal government to getting something right. And when you and I were chatting about this, sort of in preparation for the podcast, we talked about the fact that, you know, we've seen a couple of examples recently where government has actually gotten something very, very right, especially in the technology area. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the Clinton administration had a choice. They had to decide, are we going to allow the internet to be used for commercial purposes? And there were arguments against it. But the Clinton administration decided, yes, we will allow the Internet to be used. This is when the United States still had sole control over these things. Mm -hmm. 
we will in fact allow the internet to be used for commercial purposes. And, and now look at all of the e-commerce today that comes out of that, right? Uh, it was not a given thing that you were going to be able to do that. It was not a given thing you were going to be able to buy and sell things over the internet, but the Clinton administration got this correct. Um, the Clinton administration also, after a series of trials and error, got right this idea of allowing encryption on mm-hmm. the internet so that your so that your privacy and security could be protected. You also would not have had e-commerce over the internet without encryption because I mean you would not have the confidence to buy something from Amazon or Etsy or you know Barnes and Noble online or whoever. You would not have had the security of that credit card transaction without encryption. So as big a critics as we tend to be of government, every once in a while government gets something right. And the Obama administration got this right on space. And so now what we have seen is this incredible explosion of innovation and experimentation and innovation going on by by companies like SpaceX, by names you know, you know, by companies like Blue Origin, which is, you know, owned and run by Jeff Bezos from Amazon, but also by a myriad of other companies around the country. Uh, there's a company called Rocket Lab that mm-hmm. launches from Australia and New Zealand. Um, there, there's a space company whose name I forget right now that launches from Alaska. Uh, there's a lot of these companies, not just the big names that have sort of been pioneers, but there's a lot of them out there. They're competing with each other, and the benefits of this fall to taxpayers because competition does is is a much better model than this sort of cost plus overrun model that defense contractors have used. When when SpaceX bids on these projects for NASA, it's flat flat fixed cost. Mm-hmm. It's we'll do it for this. And that's 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 how much we're going to charge you for it. And we're not going to come back and say, oh, we're sorry, there have been cost overruns. So you have benefits to taxpayers. You also have benefits to private sector companies who need to launch satellites because now they've got more choice and more option. They're not, you know, hostage to only one option for getting their satellites in orbit. And so there's been just a tremendous, tremendous amount of innovation here. One of the really interesting things about private space innovation is this philosophy of, of fail fast, right? The idea is, you know what, if you're going to make a mistake, make it as fast as you can so you can learn from it. And, you know, Elon Musk has, um, he's, of course, he's had a lot of colorful quotes mm-hmm. over, over his career, but one of them is, you know, the nice thing about uh, having rockets with no people in them is that you can afford for them to explode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, SpaceX had any number of failures along the way of learning how to, how to build their rockets reliably and dependably and to make them reusable. Uh, and the idea was that if a, if a rocket explodes on the pad, uh, that's not a tragedy. That's something you can learn from. If you make, make your mistakes fast. Iterate often. Uh, it's, it is said that every new SpaceX rocket that is built is different from the previous one mm. because they continue to iterate. They continue to make little incremental improvements and they, they don't feel like, okay, well, you know, that worked. So we're going to freeze innovation. We're not going to change anything. They're constantly innovating. They're constantly iterating and trying to find simpler and better and more reliable ways to do things. And it's been interesting to see how much innovation is going on. Things that you wouldn't have really thought about. The first stage, dropping back down and landing on a platform, uh, <clears throat> being able to use be used again. Yep. Uh, because when I was growing up, they always dropped in the ocean, yep. and the second stage, and maybe even the third. So, and it was always the same way, yeah. right? Always the same way. 
uh, again, no no continual innovation. And you know, we we have wondered over the years, like, how come we don't have flying cars and rocket packs? And I think too often it's been because so much of that kind of innovation has been the domain of again the federal government and defense contractors. But now in the brief amount of time that SpaceX has been in business, think about what they do. They've got a essentially an automated robotic spacecraft, an automated robotic booster that mm-hmm. can land itself. They have an automated robotic drone ship out in the ocean. And all of these things coordinate with each other automatically to to find the right location, right? Mm-hmm. To plot the right location so that these boosters can land on these drone ships. And, you know, there's nobody on either one of them in case something goes wrong. No one's killed, you know, but they've gotten to the point where this is just absolutely reliable in a very short amount of time. And you just know that if NASA and the federal government had remained in control of all of this, you know, from beginning to end, we would not have made the same amount of progress that we've made just by turning it over to the private sector and letting them try different techniques. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for people like you and me who are big proponents of the competition in the private sector, this private space revolution has been a real demonstration, I think, of how the, the, the private economy, the free market is just simply better, cheaper, and more efficient and more innovative than government efforts go. And so, you know, I think there's some lessons here. And one of the big lessons here is if it can be done by the private sector, the government ought to let the private sector do it. And there's just so many examples of these kinds of things. We would probably go off on too many tangents if we started thinking of examples. But, you know, from a limited government standpoint, you know, we used to talk about this as privatization. And privatization at some point sort of became a dirty word. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. But the whole idea here is if you can, if government can contract out for services with the private sector, that is almost always going to turn out to be a cheaper, faster, more efficient process. And it's going to lend to more innovation than if the government has to, feels like they have to do all of these things themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we should also point out that, you know, there are competing projects. You know, I mean, NASA has essentially outlined a plan to get Americans to the moon and to have a permanent presence on the moon. And there are people, different space companies are competing for different parts of this project, different contracts for different things and all of that. And then in the meantime, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin are off doing their own projects too that are totally self-funded. Like, you know, Elon Musk's, you know, sort of starship plans to try to, to try to get to Mars or whatever the government's not funding that thus far. That's all being funded essentially by SpaceX to do that. Uh, and you've got uh, Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's company, which has already landed, which has already launched into or, into space several private crews where people just literally paid money, and they mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll pay money to go up and experience weightlessness and to you know get up get up into the atmosphere and see what the horizon of the Earth looks like." They haven't put anyone in orbit yet. But all these different models are opportunities for innovation, not just in the technology, but also in in different models for accomplishing things. And I think we've got a very bright and interesting future ahead of us in space, again, because the federal government made this decision to stop trying to monopolize space and to turn it over to the private sector and to private competition. And as you had said earlier, a lot of us thought, is this going to be the end of the space program? And it turns out by turning over to the private sector, 
we're going faster and further than we've ever gone. If you're if you're a space nerd, as we are, uh, you, you definitely have the idea that that rather than being in these doldrums where there's just not much interesting going on in space, uh, we're now sort of at the beginning of a ver- of a new era where there's just stuff going on all the time. I mean, almost every week there is a rocket launch of one kind or another by one of these private companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, it's uh, brighter days ahead for those of us who are space nerds, but also brighter days ahead for the U.S. because we're going to benefit from this innovation and taxpayers are going to benefit from the savings of not just innovation but also private competition. But as there, there is the one thing, which is the trash the companies are putting in space. So you do, you may end up with this tragedy of the commons sense where companies are just leaving things out there Mm -hmm. and we'll have to figure out how to deal with that. And some companies have already sort of made some proposals, but yeah, there's, it's not going to be completely smooth sailing, but the, the federal government left trash in in space also. Yeah. What you're calling trash is more elegantly called space junk, I think, right? (laughs) And sometimes space debris. (laughs) Yeah, space debris. There's at least one company right now that this is literally the problem they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And they've created these little satellites that that they can launch into orbit. The satellite will seek out another satellite, will clamp to it, and then deorbit it, actually bring it back down into the atmosphere and destroy it. So I, I think we're just at the very beginning of that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while you'll see a science fiction movie or something like that, and part of the theme will be that there's such a ring of junk around the earth that you can't even get in and out anymore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I have a feeling that's a, that's a problem we will solve before it becomes too big of a problem, again, as long as private companies are allowed to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find more about space policy at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this discussion, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.